Hello all, and welcome to the Just Dance Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We have a fantastic guest today, a well-known poker player and occasional poker journalist and current content producer and professional risk taker, Christy Arnett Moreno, is joining us on the podcast today. A reminder, we are brought to you guys by Software Why. Some exciting things coming up from Software Why. Uh, the subsite is going to be launched, at least for beta testers, on July 1st. That is the current date uh, that we are banking on. Uh, so if you want to sign up to be a beta tester, uh, do so ASAP and shoot an email to applications at softwareyacademy.com. Also, there's another Cash Academy from SoftwareY uh, this July, I think the 23rd, uh, but you can check that out at their website. Uh, the Academy is an amazing experience. Highly recommend it to any cash players. Uh, not to be missed. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Woke up nice and early in Vegas. Not something that always happens, but feels good when it when it can. How about yourself? <laughs> Woke up not early in New York. I actually <laughs> I tend to be on a much earlier schedule when I'm in Vegas, which is I think unusual. <laughs> but yeah, I'm back back in the city for a few days, taking care of some non poker things and some poker things, but coming back to reimmerse myself in tournament world in a few days. I'll be seeing you there, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, hopefully, I'll also be seeing our guest today, Christy Arnett Moreno. Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'd love to see you when you get here. And I think I, I think I listened to the last one, and you said that you're kind of jealous of the cash game grind because the tournaments hadn't been going so well. Is is that right? Are you getting some rest at home? I was I was kind of joking. I mean, I'm always jealous of the cash grind when I'm playing tournaments because I think cash is more interesting. But I actually think tournaments are really fun. And so even though I haven't had any success so far from like a direct monetary standpoint, I've really been actually enjoying myself. <laughs> no, I just came home awesome. for, for other reasons. This is not like a fleeing Vegas because of <laughs> too many bust outs. Yeah, um, no, no, no. I... I, I hear you. Totally. So, Christy, I think you said you had a hand maybe from the Millionaire Maker, or? I actually have a more interesting one that I wanted to talk to you guys about, which happened yesterday oh, nice. in the um, the MSPT $1,600 buy-in at the Venetian $3 million guarantee. Okay, fantastic. And I will say that I think hands that took place the day before are the best podcast hands. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, uh, great. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, All right. So I don't know if you guys have been to the Venetian, but their tournaments are getting lots of players. And especially on the last starting flight, there will be lots of alternates. And it creates an interesting dynamic because people are coming in really late Often they are in more of a hurry than they really need to be because they've been waiting for a long time. They feel like they're behind. Mm-hmm. And and so yesterday that was the case. The blinds were 300, 600. You start with a 25K stack. And one of 
uh, a friend, I mean, a, a person that I've known from living in Vegas for a few years. I know he's good. I haven't played with him in a few years, but he's good. He's aggressive. He plays online and he late regged. And from the first 40 minutes, really, he was firing, like he was min raising a ton, definitely getting a little bit out of line as far as pre-flop, you know, just like showing hands down, like raising under the gun, nine, 10 off. And so, and he'd also tripled off like once, maybe twice. And I, since he was opening light, I four, I three bet squeezed as a bluff from the small blind with ace five suited and he shipped on me. So just giving you guys context for how he was playing. Right. Okay. So 300, 600 in this hand, he raises an early middle position to 1200. A player uh, who's playing pretty straightforward, competent. He flats directly to his left. And I'm in the big blind with queen deuce suited. And I defend. Calling is obviously totally fine. This is actually a hand that I'll sometimes three bet as more of a bluff. I think mm-hmm. against the sort of earlier position opens, I like using suited bluffs and I think having a blocker is nice. And so if you think like this guy is just way too wide, sometimes I think bluffing from the big line looks a little stronger since there's at least there's a good amount of the field that just like never bluffs from the big blind. Mm. So mm-hmm. I think it's worth considering, but obviously calling is going to be massively plus EV. And I don't know what stacks are. We're 28, 29K effective. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. And I think it's interesting because um, of all the most recent studying I'm doing and ranges and, um, you know, what my squeeze range would be, it's just you know, queen deuce suited would just not really be in it from like just a creating ranges standpoint because I would just have way too many bluffs if this was one of them that I just standard did. But often what I'm finding in live tournaments is that there's just like not enough of these situations that come up where I feel like, I feel like just in live sometimes because of, the nature of live tournaments and and the structure like you you just have to like go for it if that makes sense you know so i i uh agree with like this being a fine hand to to do it Uh, the flop was jack of diamonds 10 clubs three of diamonds and i have queen deuce of diamonds and i check and he bets 1500 Mm -hmm. so that's like a third um, pot Mm-hmm. And we both call. What do you guys think? Do you ever check raise here? Do you just take your take your equity? Like, what do you do? Yeah, I think given such a good price, and you know, this guy's he's opening so wide that like you have, I think, much better implied odds than reverse implied odds with this type of hand. I'm comfortable just taking my equity. We shouldn't be doing too much bluffing from this position anyway, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think in that spot, I'm, I'm also going to be calling with your exact hand, Christy. It's the type of 
hand in which you know you're doing very well against a one third bot pot continuing range based on the player type and that this is the type of player that might be capable of you know three bet bluffing with a hand worse than queen deuce of diamonds and i think it'd be a pretty big disaster to get you know blown off our equity after check raising this also seems like the type of player with given how aggro they are they they're probably more likely to continue being overly aggressive with bad hands when you take a passive line versus taking an aggressive line so i i think this with this exact hand, I'm I'm always calling in this spot. Yeah, I think on such a draw heavy board, when we raise, we are getting three bet somewhat frequently by one pair of hands, and I think that's a correct response against the field. I think this is just a spot where like we get an unfair amount of value when we actually have it, and mm-hmm. for the most part, we should play our draws passively and then. You know, I think it's fine to, like, I would rather raise something like King-9 suited with a backdoor, which is something where mm-hmm. if we get, like, blown off our equity, it's, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. Good point. For sure. Um, I wouldn't blame yes. you, though, if you decided to raise and just thought this this guy was going to be... If your read was that he was going to overfold on this street, then I think raising is probably best. That's just not what I'm picking up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I didn't, I, I totally agree with you guys. And, um, I just was getting such a good price and it, I, I called, um, and the turn was the 10 of diamonds. So now it's Jack 10, 10, three, three diamonds. So we have a flush. So I check and he bets 3,500 and the other player folds and I, I call again, given that, I mean, I just, I mean, it's kind of the same. Well, he has, you know, he has jacks and I don't. He has tens and I don't. And so I just, I just thought calling, calling was best. Um, I don't know. Do you want to, do you guys want to comment on, on that street? I first just want to throw out, I think this is definitely a card where I'd consider leading out small against mm-hmm. this player. Um, I think, you know, the sample size is pretty small when a player is like really overly aggressive like this, it could, there's a large spectrum, you know, and and maybe there's more information about this player that would be helpful, but I, it could be someone that, you know, maybe has like a pretty decent, like post-flop hand reading sense and just is really undisciplined all the way to, you know, they're just like betting kind of like crazy. Also, you know, something that I can't speak to, but maybe you can like how, how, you know, certain demographics play differently against women than versus men. Maybe they're more aggressive. That seems to be the the case for me, based on my limited sample size of observing other players at the table. So there's like a, a lot, a lot that could go into you know what frequency, what predictive frequency on this card is this person going to check back or not? Do they are they thinking on like a you know level one where it's like oh like another ten, another diamond? It's scary. I'm going to bet. Or are they thinking okay? Well, this actually like the big blind has a lot of 10x in their range and they have a lot of flush shows in their range, so it's a good time to give up. I think there's a lot of players that even if they don't formally go through the latter thought process, they're going to maybe just intuitively know that it's like not a great card for them and then likely check back. Uh, and I think some of those players, there's like an overlap between that type of player and the type of player that likes to sense weakness and pounce on it, which seems to be congruent with the description you've given thus far. So I think, you know, betting like around like one third pot uh, does a really good job of like 
denying your opponent equity, getting value, and potentially inducing bluffs. I like that, Zach. I, I think leading should be considered. Without, I think you you gave a nice explanation of it. I, Christy, as played, I really like the call. I think as long as you never fold, basically never fold the river other than maybe on a jack and maybe on a fourth diamond facing like a shove, as long as you never fold unless one of those things happen, I really like the call. This is kind of, I, I don't really get uh, our opponent's line here. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me, since this should be a spot where th- that first bet is, can be kind of like mergey third pot, like we're in a tournament, great. Mm-hmm. But now he's betting like, I think a little under third pot on a card where he should be like, I think pretty pulled out. Like we just have a lot of flushes in 10x, which is part of why I think leading should be strongly considered. And so does the imposition player. I mean, there's no reason he couldn't have plenty of, like, ace-10, king-10, queen-10. Mm-hmm. So this is a spot where, like, when the preflop raiser has a one-pair hand, I think they should consider checking. Uh, right. And then if they're checking a lot of those hands and betting a more polarized range, I would just think a larger sizing makes more sense. And so part of me kind of thinks this is a little BSy. And given our opponent's just general propensity for being too wide in most spots, I kind of want to just appear capped and try and induce some large bluffs on the river. And yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's going to be to our advantage. I honestly don't know if I would fold on a fourth diamond (laughs) (laughs) facing like a shove. I think it would be fine too, but I would be tempted to call against this player. Got it. And, and, you know, I did, yes, I, so I did consider leading. Um, and I think that, and I wanted to know what you guys thought about this is that because we were multi-way, I didn't, or I thought it would be better as a lead if we were heads up because I, I could lead, you know, like my, queen nines or or eight nines or as a bluff but i just don't think that i would do that here multi-way uh given that the the second player in position so so that's why i thought i liked calling better but what do you you think about that logic i completely agree with that i think it's definitely um like a slam dunk lead heads up and Mm -hmm. i think it's less clear in a multi-way pot and and I think it's definitely like a pretty exploitative strategy, but like given kind of the information I've heard, I still think it mm-hmm. to me seems like the best play in a multi-way pot, but it's less, it's less, definitely less clear than in a heads up pot. Okay. Got it. I mean, your hand needs less protection than if you had like queen 10 or something. If, if you were up against a different profile in that player, then I would like leading better. Uh, Cause that player really should be checking a lot on this card. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, I don't necessarily think that like, based on how you describe your other opponent, they're going to be value betting a jack a ton. And so I think like, mm-hmm. you may miss your yeah. best opportunity to get value from like two slightly more passive players, but against this player who's just, you know, relatively aggro and seems like he's putting out kind of a silly 
I mean, he he could just definitely have a boat here. Like, I, <laughs> we we might just go work against a boat a good amount, which is fine. But look, putting out this kind of BSA looking three K bet, <laughs> I guess in a results oriented way, I I like I like checking, and I think this was a fairly reasonable outcome to expect given this player's profile. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, okay, so. Yeah, the other player folds, and I call, and the river is total blank, like an offsuit four or something, or five. And I check, and he shoves, which he's at, at like a thousand more than me, and I have like 23, five or something, or 24,000 left. What's the pot size again on the river? It's like 15,000. A little over 15,000, like 15,5-ish or something. Uh, Chris, do you want to tell us your thoughts on, on what you're thinking here against the shove? Sure. So I was thinking, I know he's a good player. Like, I saw him, like, getting a lot of line pre and being aggressive. But none of those were aggressive hands showed down. I'm like, like maybe, I, I was just thinking, like, I just don't think he would try to bluff me off a of flush here, which I could have lots. And I just, but then I was like, but I'm so, this is like one of the best hands I could have. And it's better than having tie flush because, you know, he could have the ace blocker and that would be his best bluff. Like, you know, like maybe ace king with a ace of diamonds or, so it, obviously it's super polar, like this spot, this bet. And I, and then I'm like, okay, so a king high flush and a queen high flush is pretty much the best hand I could have. Because I would most likely check pocket threes and flop jack. Um, so this is like the second best hand I can really have if I'm folding this. It just, and like, so aggressive. I'm a girl. He already like four bet shipped on me. Like maybe he thinks I'm and will fold a flush. I'm already thinking about folding a flush, so maybe he's right. So those were my... <laughs> uh, yeah, this this seems to me like a great outcome. We, you know, successfully check-called against a player that's aggressive and for all the reasons you just described, is likely feels even more empowered to go overly aggressive and maybe an over-bluff spots against you specifically. So, you know, check-calling worked and slam slam dunk call and sometimes we lose yeah the other thing i thought too was if he really had a nutted hand it would have like you know i'm thinking like jacks tens jack 10 would he really just bet 1500 on the flop would he really just bet 3500 on the turn and then just go for like an overbet shove like wouldn't he bet bigger wouldn't he be trying you know what i mean trying to stack me i don't know that's that's what i, I was thinking <laughs> Yeah, I think this is like, I, I wouldn't put it past this player to take that line with a nutted hand, or take the line that mm-hmm. he took. Um, mm-hmm. Although I do think it's, in like the more classical sense, <laughs> a bluff line. You know, wait to put max leverage on the river, try and get a wide range to that point to, you know, leverage to the max. I think it's worth adding that you mentioned that a lot of your boats would have raised at some point prior, which is definitely true. Like, a lot of them 
would. Although I think like against this player, there what there's definitely a case for just like slow playing. Like I, I think you're like ten threes, ten three suited. Is a hand you might end up at this point with. Anyway, that's that's a little less relevant. You don't have many boats, and I also think like this player can't expect you to just like show up here with all your flushes. I think obviously you have some, but a lot of them are worse than queen high, and a lot of them will have raised at some point, uh, whether it was on the flop or on the turn, uh, facing two smaller bets. So, yeah, I kind of already said what I thought on the turn, like, I'm calling to induce, and I just feel like this is the type of hand that I want to go down on, you know, holding the flush against, like, the most aggressive player at the table from the big blind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, that all makes sense. I, I called after tanking for a while, but he did have the jack 10 off, and we lose, but... I thought it was such a great hand because so I, I asked a couple other people, um, one who plays with this guy online and he's like, uh, he, he says like, yeah, he can, he's aggro and he's good, but that he just didn't think a good player would try to bluff off another you know, like at least thinking player off a of flush, like it would just, it would be suicide really. So even though like I really have one of the best hands I could have, I could still fold. So I just thought it was interesting because, because I've, you know, I've asked other people too and they're like, Oh no, you have to just slam dunk call. So it's just one of those hands where I thought it would be good for, good for discussion. And I, I really like. The um, discussion is it further, you know, I, I, because I was thinking, you know, my option is folder call on the river. I really like uh, the discussion of leading the turn um, because I think that may have been a way that maybe I don't, I mean, it's just a different way to play it. So, yeah, I thought it was, thought that was good discussion. I guess. Clearly, we should have three bet preflop. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <Just> obviously. <kidding. laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's important, and you know this, but just for everyone else, like, it was really one, one card where we lose everything—the ten of diamonds—and we got it, and we lost True. everything. Yeah, it's like, True. how much do we win on the nine of diamonds? Right, um, right. So, yeah, with like the nice thing about being a bluff heavy player is that you get paid when you have it. Mm -hmm. um, and some players are, are very good at identifying what is the point in the hand where like I need to shift hard towards being value heavy. I just am not sure that this is that point. You just have a lot of hands that are both worse in absolute strength than the flush. Like, mm -hmm. you have plenty of 10x. You're also getting a great price on the turn on a draw-heavy board, and you might call again with jack-x. I wouldn't recommend it, because uh, I think you're very likely to face this bet on the river, uh, which is part of why I like just calling and not uh, racing for value with a hand mm -hmm. like queen-deuce suited. 
So I think I obviously like your play a lot, as I've said, and I would walk out of the Venetian head held high, or at least back to the cage to register again. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, as I've actually been having, I mean, it almost couldn't go worse as far as tournaments. You know, I min cashed the very first one I played, the Colossus, and then have not cashed in nine tournaments. So I am starting, I noticed that I'm starting to feel like I'm just like it's hard for me to think that I'm not doing something wrong in every hand in some way instead of just saying like you know oh this was that card like the ten mm-hmm. of diamonds because sometimes hands are like that sometimes hands are just like you just like you can play fine or it's you know it's just one of those hands but uh, I've just been noticing that every hand now is starting to feel like do you even know what you're doing do you even like like are you are, it's just interesting how poker can messy sometimes yeah (laughs) i've been on you know so i i have basically i think something similar to your summer except for without the min cash and yeah i mean (laughs) when you end up on the wrong side of these coolers it's like you're just you're fucked you're just absolutely fucked it just can't happen unless i mean like that's the reason you try and accumulate chips is so that like maybe this can happen to you once and you're okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is the TV hand where like, like if this is broadcast and people see the 10 of diamonds come down, everyone's like, Oh, well, Chris just lost all her chips. He's <laughs> out. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like before even like anything happens on the turn. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. like if you lead, it's like, Oh, great lead. You're out. <laughs> yeah totally totally it's uh you know i i just there's so many things that i love about poker and one of them being that it's such a great teacher for life and life lessons and that life and poker are a combination of luck and skill and over time skill prevails but when it's like raining down, it, sometimes it's just like it's hard. It, it, those two things can be convoluted. And like I'm thinking like I just suck at life and poker right now or something. And I have to, you know, I get to talk to fortunately, I'm blessed to have, you know, amazing people like you, you guys to just like reflect back in something like or, you know, my husband who's been on, on your guys's podcast. And it's it's just a reminder that results short term are not always an indicator of of who we are either as a person or as a player so yeah i'm i'm just in that right now and and looking forward to playing the monster stack and <laughs> yeah yeah that one's going to be good um and another thing that i noticed and i'm curious to hear what you guys think is i have been very successful early in tournaments as far as building chips and then what seems to happen is around you know we get down to like 50 and 40 big blinds like that jump to me is 
and and players also start getting much more loose. That transition right there is I, I tend to I in the last you know or maybe three tournaments, I tend to like lose my footing either because just the variance or because I think that because there's a blind level where it literally goes from like a hundred bigs to like fifty or I mean obviously like depends on the structure, but something like that where it's like a big jump and I tend to have trouble keeping my footing there. And I'm, I was just curious, general thoughts on, on that, or um, I don't know if this is like a mm -hmm. combination of mental game or, or also, you know, just like adjusting and like just getting used to playing 50, 40, 30 big blinds. I don't know, just love to I, hear what you guys think about that. No, I think it's a great point. I actually think there's like a ton of factors at play here. Um, and I actually, my guess is that, stack size while it has something to do with it it's more it's almost like everything else that happens around that time that contributes to it so like at the beginning of the tournament almost always like your tables like much softer and mm -hmm. you have a lot of recreational players who especially the ones who play mostly tournaments they are not used to having this many chips they feel very right. liberated to play a lot of hands and kind of see what happens. And if you're a professional with deep stack experience, you're just going to have a huge edge at this point, even though that edge doesn't, you know, it doesn't translate to like huge dollars because you're so early in the tournament, but it still translates to a good amount of chips. And then a few things obviously happen once uh, effective or the average stack is more in like the 50 big blind range around that point in the tournament. Like you have a lot more people who have, you know, some of those players have busted. They're often replaced by much better players who are late regging. And then also those, there's so many players who like are so optimistic and play a ton of hands in the early stages. And then as soon as like, you know, a lot of times they're a little bit shorter than average and so they just tighten way up. And then all of a sudden, like you're playing mostly pots with pretty good players at this stage in the tournament. I think that's probably a lot of what's happening. And yeah, that's not to say that that's like a death sentence. It's just, it means you're going to have to take on a lot more volatility and you're not going to, you're not going to have the, you're not going to have initiative as often. I mean, that's one thing like amateur players. And it's not that I think in some ways initiative is overrated, but I think from a comfort standpoint, initiative is maybe underrated having mm -hmm. having that initiative against these worst players versus like being in the defensive side of the game tree versus better players is just a huge difference in terms of your like emotional state and that was like evidenced very well in this hand i think where you had like a super strong hand but because you were against a tougher player and you were in the defensive side of the game tree it was just like a much harder mental game experience yeah totally Totally. And the other thing, too, that you, you said that made kind of like a, a light bulb was like that I'm like that some of the recreational players who feel excited and like have a lot of chips and I feel like they can splash around. I, I haven't been adjusting to the fact that you're right, that they have they do tighten up. And then I'm like putting them in like these still playing versus them with the ranges in mind that I've like thought that they were playing in the beginning, but they're not. And I'm like, you know, just, so that makes so much sense too. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's like, 
there's so many players who are you know much more comfortable at the 50 big blind level than the 200 big blind level or average deck that is and you know there's a reason why they come in at this point and just start abusing they must think that these players are like always so tight you know the people who you know late reg all the time they don't get to see the first couple hours of this set of players just being extremely loose um, yeah and it's a trade-off but yeah yeah definitely yeah no, cool. Have... Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> the monster yeah, I... will be a, a nice change of pace, I think, for that for some of those reasons, at least compared mm-hmm. to other Rio-based events. Mm-hmm. Christy, I wanted to just circle back and, and thank you for how succinctly you kind of summarized you know, the struggle of living a life of volatility, whether that's as a poker player or not. And I think when you have, you know, more volatility of outcomes, the more important having like a good network and strong support systems are. And I think that's a large part of like why Jack and I started and have continued to do this podcast, which is like, you know, we'll have a lot of uncertainty about things and it's nice to, you know, give as much of an in-depth analysis and factors as we can to people we trust. And then to not, not do it just to feel like absolved mental game wise, but that's definitely a factor too. It's not just to, do the best analysis it's to to gain kind of regain confidence around decision making processes where like when you explain this hand to us you know yes after the fact you learn that maybe this guy is over bluffing flop and turn and just completely under bluffing when he over bets the river against a player like yourself but you didn't know that at the time you know right. Right. So, so we still don't know that yeah yeah we still definitely don't know that i'm just saying that that yeah yeah no i love what you said about you know building the confidence in, in your decision tree. And I think that's like everything as a poker player is to just continue defining your own processes and, and finding confidence in that. Cause often we can get so, you know, just all over the place or not take the time to say, okay, well, what did I learn in that hand? You know, what part of the process, the decision-making process did, where did I go wrong? So I, I, I love what you guys do and, and appreciate it. So thank you. Our pleasure. So <laughs> we've, you know, continued podcasting through the series, obviously talking about some WCP related stuff, but you took it upon yourself to start a vlog documenting your journey during the WCP. I'm, I'm curious why you would subject yourself to that. No, it was a terrible idea. What was I thinking? <laughs> it's like, I don't know why I would suge- subject myself to the to to it. One, it takes a really long time. Two, it's really not fun when you're not doing well. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. But, but in you know, to be serious, the reason I did it, and the reason I still feel inspired to do it, is because. I, there's, I just, there's so much I have to say about taking risks in life and in poker and so much that I've learned and that even in the face of it going almost as bad as it could go currently, if I had been at home in San Diego, maybe playing, coming out here to play a couple tournaments, I would be there regretting it, feeling like... I'm not living out my 
best, most like juicy life. Like I would be sitting there thinking, God, I, I really wanted to play. I don't know why I didn't, you know, and just having regrets about that. And then I'll be 50 and, and never have like played, you know, uh, gave, gave myself a shot to win a bracelet. So, so even in the face of all of that, like, I'm glad I'm putting myself through all of this. I know that I'm, I'm learning way, way more being immersed in it like I am. And also I just have aspirations outside of poker that include, uh, speaking and, and being an inspiration in this area of like life and love. So, um, so that's why I'm doing it. And the messages that I've gotten have been so just like, Hey, because of you, I told, like I took a risk and I told this girl that I really liked her, even though it's not poker. So like if that's the outcome of, and, and all I, and what I need to do is spend some extra time and swallow my ego and, and learn to be okay even with the thought that everybody's laughing at me and I'm like, I'm making this like sweet vlog and I'm just like whiffing all the time, then, then it's been worth it. And I know that I, I know it sounds cliche, but at the end of the summer, I will be a much better poker player and human regardless of the result. So, so that's why. Yeah. I was, for anyone who is breaking hard this summer, or if you're even if you're not even if you had success a lot of it some of it i highly recommend watching uh christie's vlog it's it's got the message and the optimism and the sort of embrace of the positive side of risk taking that you're hearing here except for it's like really well produced <laughs> it's got visuals you know <laughs> it's in a lot of ways much better than our podcast no it should no be. this is this is, I, I actually, this is perfect that you guys do just hands because I do just no hands. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so it's, it's great. Yeah. So if you're sick of just hands, which you must be after 130 episodes or whatever, <laughs> check it out. Um, yeah. Perfect. Because everybody who's saying, why don't you just do some hands? I'm going to be like, okay. Just go to this podcast. It's just hands. So you guys, <laughs> exactly. so it's perfect. Yeah. For those of uh, those in our audience who don't already know this, you have described yourself as a professional risk taker. Am I, am I right on that? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny because I don't know what the F I am. So I never know what to call myself. And people always want like, okay, so like, what are you? Like, what do you do? And the truth is, I don't really know. I mean, I play poker as my main source of income. I want to write a book. I want to speak. I like make videos. I make podcasts. So, and every, and I coach people in relationships. So every, but everything I do comes down to, and, and my desire and like what I feel like my mission is in life is to help people transform their relationship with risk. So, I mean, 
and, and poker has taught me all of that, right? Like every decision that we make in poker is based on imperfect information, which for some reason in life, we don't think it's that way. Like we think that we need to be a hundred percent certain before we go for it. We need to know she's going to say yes before you ask her on a date. And the truth is that, or, or we need to know that our book is going to be successful before we write it, but it's not true. And being able to embrace the uncertainty, being able to make decisions based on on that imperfect information to the best of your ability and be okay with the outcome and all of those sorts of things is what I write about and coach. And so I guess my whole life is about taking risks and being a risk taker. And I know that that's my own hero's journey is that I am naturally risk averse and I'm putting, you know, doing all of these things that to me are risky. And that's where I think that the edge is in life. So that's why I said that. So I don't know. I don't know. Professional risk taker, poker player. Sure. <laughs> well, let me uh, ask you to put your dating advice hat on just for a second. Uh, Absolutely. Just since oh, we've never had favorite. anyone on the podcast who's even <laughs> come remotely close to saying they're recording <laughs> on that subject. <laughs> I, Jack, you've never asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I assume we have many single men <laughs> listening to this podcast. Uh, that's just been my experience from who's written into us. Any advice to those, myself not included, for better or worse? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting because the people, my, the uh, 90% of the people who I've worked with privately are poker players, single poker players. And, um, so I have a lot to say on this topic, but, uh, if I had to just, if I had to say one thing, it's that, and what I have found with the people I've worked with, so probably speaking to a lot of your audience is first get really clear on the type of woman who you want to be with and what are maybe like the top three characteristics of a woman that you, that are most important to you? Like if you think about what you want your relationship to be, are you, you know, is it marriage and family and kids? Okay. And so with that vision of your life, what are the most important characteristics? Because often people can get distracted by the things that are kind of like fun and shiny now, but aren't actually what they want long-term and then they end up wasting time. But if, if the obstacle is fear of women, which, you know, often sometimes that happens with poker players who are extremely smart and analytical, sometimes like a uh, fear compare, like can, they can get caught up in like, Ooh, like what exactly do I say? What do I, how do I stand? Do I need to, you know, how do I even flirt? I don't know how to flirt. They get all in their head about it. One thing I will say is there are so many amazing single women waiting for the sweet, shy, smart guy. And all of these women are wasting their time with the ones who actually approach them. And and if you can just hang on to that, there are women who are waiting for exactly you. It may allow you to get out of your head and to just take that first step, which is to say hi. And so, yeah, that's that's a couple of of things. Cause oh, gosh, there are so many sweet, just shy, smart, analytical poker players out there who are, who have messaged me too. And I just want to say like, 
your girl is out there and they're wasting their time with the D bags who aren't afraid and just say stuff like our date was supposed to happen yesterday. What happened? And you're just like, uh, what weird. Okay. Bye. You know, they're waiting for you guys, but you gotta say something. I'm glad to say I've never been on uh, your side of that interaction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's uh let's shift hard towards entrepreneurship. So I'll I'll just come clean and say that basically the whole time we've been podcasting, I've just been looking at your videos on YouTube. You know, so like you go to your channel, you look at the videos, you you see maybe the last 30 that you've done. And plenty of them involve entrepreneurship and I know that's something that you're interested in. I know that's something that Zach and I are also interested in. How do you think, I mean, it almost seems like too obvious of a question to ask, but which, which came first? Well, this is a less obvious question. Which came first, uh, your desire to be an entrepreneur or your desire to play poker? Definitely my desire to play poker came first and out of the lifestyle and the, the life of being able to work hard and control how much money that you make. And I mean, control in that, like, if you want to raise, you learn more, you grow more, you, you know, up, you take shots. And I think born out of that was what I see for the rest of my life, which is being an entrepreneur and having my own business and having my own say in my time and how much and having control over how much I make without having to ask somebody else. So I think it's kind of a marriage made in heaven (laughs) to that be the next step. Mm -hmm. Well, Zach, I think I've been asking all the questions so far. I'm sure you have some, some things in mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, first off, I just really love kind of your, vision and branding around like professional risk taking. I think, you know, speaking just for myself, but I imagine this resonates with a lot of people in the poker community. You know, we feel like we've learned a lot from both like our approach to poker and then how that's kind of seeped into other aspects of life. I know I'm kind of, kind of personally in my new, you know, main focus, which is running a fund that invests in crypto assets, definitely a lot of risk taking involved and feeling like a lot of friction, both internally and externally with tr- mm-hmm. truths that I feel like I've learned and discussed in depth with other people in the poker community, where those are you know not necessarily truths around risk-taking around even very successful people in the investing world. And, and yeah, I, I would love to see kind of like a, a, a bigger, this bigger bridge between kind of the, the insights from the poker world and to the other part of the world and kind of now making this into a question, what other kind of professional risk-takers or professions and lifestyles of high volatility do you think that has a lot to offer outside of poker um that's a great question and what i actually the way that i want to answer it is that no matter what career you're in whether it's a certain business an entrepreneur or you are a waitress at a diner. I think that success is dictated upon your ability to take 
take risks and, and take responsibility. And so, um, so even if you're at a job now that you don't like, or that you feel is not really what you want to be doing, can you, can you take the risk of learning and being present every single day? Or can you take the risk of creating a, an actual plan of how you're going to get into a job that you really love? You know, often, like I said, we're trying to like make decisions based on um, when we think that we're sure but we are never sure. So they're like, oh, I want to be sure before I move, before I take a risk and go back to school or whatever it is. And so, so that's not really answering your question in like what fields it's more applicable because I honestly think it's applicable no matter what you're doing. If you're where you are in your career, it's because you've embraced the ability to take risks and responsibility. And if you're not, I would say, you know, what is the, what's the biggest risk you could take towards what you want and what you love and, and how can you, you know, do that in a calculated way? So, so sorry, that doesn't really answer, but I hope that that gives some kind of answer. Yeah, no, that was definitely, definitely helpful. I guess more specifically is like, with poker, for example, and I think you know Jack and I are both you know musicians, jazz musicians. I think what has drawn us both to things like jazz or poker is that it's really difficult to not be honest with yourself. You know, mm. uh, there's definitely volatility in your short-term results, but if you're not kind of constantly reflecting, embracing the variance, but also like being thoughtful about outcomes, despite trying to not be you know result-oriented in the short term. Uh, without doing that, you're not going to have much success. But I would say, it, from my perspective, it seems like you can have what's you know meaningful, you know, outward and internal success without doing that for most other professions or, or lifestyles. So I guess what I'm kind of asking, and you know, it's, it's not a question I expect you to have every answer to, but just like, what are some other things that you know you think or have experience with that are also good? Uh, for kind of teaching teaching those skills in which, you know, people that stay in it for a long time are likely to have a much better sense of that. Mm. I mean, I've heard, and I don't really know because I don't play, but I've heard golf players uh, feel very, very similar in in the type of, you know, mindset of of taking risks, and <laughs> I. I think too that there, you know, when we talk about entrepreneurs and businesses, the other area that I think people really get to harness, like the the power of taking risks, is is even influencers. Like it takes it takes a a lot to to just put yourself out there in a way that's where everything is kind of on your own, and and you have to rely on factors that are you know, trends or relationships and what's hot now. And so, yeah, maybe those. It seems also like you could definitely make the case that you've taken on a lot of personal risk that seems like it's paid off uh, in your life as a content creator. I mean, that's, there's something, 
that to some I, w- I would assume feels like hugely risky about just like releasing a video of yourself talking to a camera. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so, it's super scary. And, you know, it's the same, same is true, you know, for a podcast. And I, I really just acknowledge anybody who has the guts to do that. So you guys are in that group for sure. I mean, it is, it is putting yourself out there and it's, it's hard, but it, at least for me has made me grow so, so, so much. So, um, if anybody's thinking about putting themselves out there in some way, I would definitely say, take that risk. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that the payoffs of certain risks are not always going to be in dollars. Right. Um, if you start a podcast, you're very likely (laughs) to to understand that. (laughs) Anyway, Chris, we've taken a good amount of your time, but I have, I have at least one more question that I think is kind of fun and ties some things together. What would your life look like? Or what would at least be a positive view of your life where you're only playing poker, I guess, let's say five times a year at most. What, what what would I be doing if I yeah. was what what's what's a vision of a successful outcome where all of a sudden you're barely playing any poker? I would have written. I mean, and this is. I mean, that's the dream, right? To just play poker a few times a year, go hard when you really, really feel like playing, and that would be for me. I just be doing it when I'm not on a book tour that I've written a New York Times bestseller and I'm speaking and having like mini workshops everywhere. And, and Oprah's calling me and she's like, we're going to make your book a movie and you could come hang out with me. And so that's what I'd be doing, writing and speaking and hosting, you know, hosting workshops and making, making stories and content. Fiction. I do eventually want to write fiction, yes. I have a similar aspiration. Yeah? Um, yeah. Oh, Jack, you even have, a, you even have a book idea. <laughs> you have a great book idea. Yeah. It will not be shared at this moment. But well, we so, can talk about that later. Yeah, I yeah, have some, like five books in my head. <laughs> I just have one really stupid book. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I have to write it while Trump's in office, though, or else it's, gonna, it's not going to sell as well. <laughs> but we have at least, I think, six more years, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. God, God, God willing. God, inshallah, we'll have another six more years of Trump. <laughs> Dude, we're gonna we're gonna completely lose the Jordanian yeah. audience this right now. This is this is when we start getting hate mail. <laughs> is as soon as like we say something along <laughs> along those lines. Uh, our our Just Hands audience can tolerate like. You know, an, an informative interview with like a high-profile poker personality for maybe thirty minutes, but as soon as like as soon as we go down that road, it's it's over. So we've, <laughs> we've lost we've lost our audience. We're probably losing you, Christy. You need to get you know fine-tuning your ranges for the monster stack. You know, <laughs> as we all do. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, Christy. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Uh, this is not our first time trying to record this podcast. <laughs> hopefully it's the last. Hopefully we got the recordings and everything. But you're yeah. obviously welcome on uh, whenever you so desire to have your play critiqued, confirmed. 
a little poker therapy, which we can all use around this time of year. Yeah, for sure. Well, I thank you guys so much for having me. And yeah, I appreciate you. Chris, real quick, is there anything that we haven't mentioned here that you want to hip our audience um, to, as we would say in the jazz world? Uh, no, <laughs> I think that's it. I think that, yeah, just, I mean, if uh, you guys like to follow, you know, poker players on the journey, I guess you can, can just do that at, at, on Instagram. I try to update there, mostly Christy.arnett. And yeah, otherwise, that's it. Thank you.